0: not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. The uh, passage of Scripture indicates here that God's will and the will of the Apostle Paul is that we would no longer walk the way that the Gentiles walk, no longer walk the way that the world walks. We would no longer live and have conversation and lifestyle in the manner That uh, the world did. I want you to notice in verse number 17, it says the word therefore. Then if you jump to uh, verse number 25, it says, wherefore, it begins out, wherefore, therefore. And as I said last week, these are words that indicate everything that I've said so far is establishing a foundation for why you should do such and such and such. Therefore, you should do, as I used the illustration last week, you don't just say, therefore, you should clean up the room. You have to, first of all, build a foundation, which is, we have company coming over tonight, therefore, you should clean up your room. The first three chapters of Ephesians have established the foundation of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us and the riches that are available to you and I through the inner man, through the Holy Spirit, to live victorious and to make a great impact in the world for the kingdom of God. This is available to us. Jesus made it all possible through the cross and through his spirit. Therefore, because of that, it should affect it the way that you walk. Now, I want us to close your Bible just for a second. We're going to get back, or you can just set it down. You have to close it so that you have to find your spot again. And we're going to uh, go through verse by verse from 17 through verse 17 through the end of chapter number 4. But rather than just go through these passages of Scripture and say, now I know the Bible a little bit better, I want God to speak to our hearts tonight. Because the the danger is, uh, what the book of James said, is that there are people that are hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. That's a spot that you don't want to be in. Hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. And uh, uh, James describes that as a person who looks into a mirror sees what needs to be changed but then just walks away and doesn't make the changes and when they leave they forget what the problem was and so as that's what the the second half of ephesians is about how we take the application of the Word of God and put it into practice in our life. And through the rest of Ephesians, there are several times where the word "therefore" and "wherefore" are used, indicating what we've laid is a foundation, so that you, so so, that gives you the purpose and the reason why you should do the certain things that we are instructing, guiding, and directing. Uh, you to do so I want you to pray with me right now and I want you to ask the Lord first of all to help you understand in a deeper level level in a greater measure this passage of scripture but also that God would help apply it to your life so that you could walk out of here and put into practice what the word of God has taught you anybody want that to happen in your life tonight let's ask the Lord for that to happen Lord Jesus I thank you for Bible study for this opportunity to grow spiritually by looking into your word and growing as a Christian, Lord God. We know that your word, Lord Jesus, was written to be obeyed, not just to be studied. Hallelujah. We know, Lord God, that you've given us admonition and direction, Lord, so that, it, so that we would submit to it and let your spirit through your word rule our lives, Lord God. I pray, Jesus, first of all, that you would help us gain deeper and greater understanding of your heart and your mind and, uh, and your spirit and your will by studying your word tonight, Lord God. Uh, and secondly, Lord Jesus, as we gain this understanding, let us put feet on it. Uh, let us put it into practice, Lord Jesus, uh, and let us allow, Lord God, your spirit and your wor- will and your purpose uh, uh, to shine forth through our life. We ask this uh, for all of us in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, and everybody said amen and clap your hands if you agree. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God bless you and you may be seated. This uh, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 told us what has happened to us because of our new birth experience, that the old person that we used to be was crucified with Jesus Christ. And we are to put off the old man and to put on the new man. We'll see this in, in at the end of chapter 4. So basically, if you want to uh, put a title or a, a rallying point around this passage of Scripture, I believe I would describe it this way. The Apostle Paul is telling us, God has raised you from spiritual death, brought you new life. But when he brought you out of spiritual death, you were still wrapped in grave clothes. And they stink. And they're reminiscent of the old man and the old dead way. So it's time to take off the grave clothes. It's not enough just to be alive. You also need to take off the trappings, the corrupt and filthy and stinky garments that are part of being uh, dead and uh, enjoy life in Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to read uh, verses 17 through 19. Um, and uh, first of all, I'm going to read just since we it's a shorter passage here. I'm going to read from uh, the New uh, Living Translation, and then I'll let you follow along. I'll read the same passage again from the King James Version. I'm going to read verses 17 through 19. Everybody with me? 17 through 19. says, this is the New Living Translation. With the Lord's authority I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Verse 18, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Verse 19, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now from the King James Version, verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that she henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. I want you to notice verse 18, understanding darkened, ignorance, blindness, darkened understanding, ignorance, Blindness are the words that are used to characterize the condition of unsaved people. Once he's referring to the Gentiles, those who are unsaved, those who are not a part of the church. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, while there are many positives, Things that we rejoice about in the Christian life. There are also directives, or if you want to say negative elements in the Christian life, and this is one of them. He says, Don't walk in the way that other Gentiles walk. Basically, he's saying that a Christian is not supposed to imitate the life of the unsaved people around them. We're not supposed to live like everyone else. So when you're a child of God, the uh phrase, everybody else is doing it, does not apply to us. Amen. In fact, if everybody else is doing it, we need to measure that against the word of the Lord and find out if we are, in fact, obeying God or walking as the Gentiles walk. So the Christian is not to imitate the lives of unsaved people. The reason is those unsaved people around us, the people that you work with, the people that maybe you go to school with, the people that you see, In the grocery store, the people who are actors and actresses in uh, Hollywood, people that are are famous individuals in the world, they are, uh, the Bible describes them as being dead in trespasses and sin. Everybody say dead. They're dead while you and I have been raised from the dead. And you and I have been given eternal life in Jesus Christ. So Paul begins to explain some of the differences between someone who's saved and someone who's not saved, between someone who is spiritually alive and someone is who is spiritually dead. And he says, in fact, it's not enough just to be alive, but by being alive, it should affect and radically change your lifestyle, the way that you conduct yourself. And so... Being spiritually alive affects the way that we act. And in this passage that we read, I, I had you uh, fo- uh, uh, look at how it said they're under, the, the worldly people, their understanding is darkened. They're in ignorance. There's blindness in their heart. So to begin with, the first thing is that Christians, I want you to, if you have, you're going to take notes, take this down. Christians think differently than people who aren't saved. The very first thing is there's a different way of thinking when you've been brought into this marvelous light, when you've been brought to life through the Spirit. The first thing is between your ears. There's a way of thinking in the world that the, that the Bible describes as ignorance or spiritual darkness or blindness, but there's a difference when you are born of the Spirit. And so, emphasis here is placed on thinking. In verse 17, verse 23 it refers to the mind. Verse 18 it talks about their understanding being darkened and also ignorance. Verse 20 it says we haven't read that yet but it says they have learned Christ. So while salvation begins with repentance, we must understand that true repentance is not just tears in an altar, but true repentance is a change of mine. It's an about faith. It's a turnaround. Anybody ever had this experience in your life? You knew someone from a distance and you had formed an opinion of this person based on what you'd heard other people say or what you observed from a distance. Then you were given the opportunity to spend some time with that person. And over the process, of that time you were spending with that person, you changed your mind completely about what you thought about them. Anybody had that experience? I had that experience recently. What What is that? That is the same thing that happens in repentance. You have this whole mindset about life. You have this whole mindset. Many have mindset about Christianity, about what it means to be a Christian, about serving God a mindset about what's right and what's wrong, about what your future is going to hold. But all of a sudden, you are exposed to the Word of God. You're exposed to the presence of God, and your mind begins to change. Everything begins to change in your mind. This is what true repentance is. Amen? So it's not just about somebody feeling goosebumps and speaking in tongues and then saying, wow, look what happened. It's about true repentance, which starts with A change of mind because ultimately, amen, at the core of everything, Christians are to think differently than unsaved people. The whole outlook of a person changes when he puts his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. His values begin to change. His goals begin to change. His or her interpretation of life. All of this begins to change when they put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's something wrong with the mind of an unsaved person. Something is not right in their head. You say, what's wrong with their thinking? What's wrong with their mind? What is wrong with the mind of the unsaved person is that the Bible says uh, their thinking is vain. Verse 17, it says, they walk in the vanity of their mind. Vanity of their mind. You saw that in verse 17 there? The vanity of their mind. Their thinking is vain, which means Futile, which means basically, they're thinking about all this stuff, but it's not going to produce anything of value to them. It's vanity. It's futile. They're thinking, and there's vanity in their mind. It leads to no real purpose in life. And we're going to be doing a a a sermon series here at the end of. uh, Uh, In the fall, right before Thanksgiving, and you're going to hear a lot about it, but we're going to talk about uh, your purpose in life based on the Word of God and based on the Spirit of God, based on the direction of God. But an unsaved person has vanity of mind. They have no real purpose. Even though they may have all these plans and dreams and ideas and concepts and things that they want to accomplish, it has no substantial purpose. Since the person who is unsaved does not really know God, they may know about Him, they may have heard about Him, but they don't really know God, so they cannot truly understand the world around them. They think they do, but they can't really understand the world around them until they know God. Amen? And if you don't know God, not only can you not understand the world around you, but you cannot even understand yourself. The unsaved person has vanity of the mind. It's futile. All their thinking comes to naught. The unsaved man's thinking also, the Bible says, is darkened. It has been darkened in verse 17 and uh human beings that are educated and open minded think that they are enlightened because they reject the bible and they believe whoever the latest philosopher is or scientist or concept or philosophy when in reality they're thinking they're enlightened but they're really in darkness i think it's so funny man it's like every generation has their philosophy which they embrace as the truth, those that reject the word of God, and they're quote-unquote enlightened. Maybe in 300 years ago, I'm enlightened. I've rejected the Bible. Well, the philosophies they believed then, the science they believed in, the facts of life that they believed in are not necessarily uh, borne out by science today, and what they believed even 20 and 30 years ago, much of it has been disproven. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because the Bible says it this way in Romans. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools, because they reject the authority of God, they reject the knowledge of God, they reject the word of God, and as a product, the Bible says in Romans, their foolish heart is darkened. Somebody, look up Romans one twenty two, brother Francisco, look that up for me, and brother Chris, if you can look up Second Corinthians chapter four, Second Corinthians chapter four, beginning with verse three. This further illustrates the idea that. Uh, um, that is, that unsaved people, people who have not embraced and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, have have uh, experienced darkness of thinking. Brother uh, Francisco, go ahead. One twenty-two. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. See, the thing is, they think that they're wise, but what happens is Satan has blinded the minds of people who have not yet experienced God's mercy and grace. Brother Chris, can you read uh, verses 3 through 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Amen. Because Satan does not want people to see the truth in Jesus Christ. So all of these passages of Scripture reinforce the concept that the unsaved person has, their hearts are darkened, their thinking is darkened, their mind is different. Amen. It is not simply that their eyes are blinded so they cannot see but further than that their minds are darkened so that they cannot even think straight about spiritual matters that's why you can't talk somebody into being saved it takes a work of the spirit and there's some people that want to argue want to discuss and want to um you know prove will prove it to me and and we can uh, certainly do our very best to use the word of God to encourage people to look into the matter further. But ultimately, they've got to submit themselves to the Lord and let his spirit begin to come into them. Have you ever noticed that once you get a good praying through, that it changes the way you think? You get kind of in a half backslidden condition and you're like looking at everything through a jaundiced eye or a jaded perspective and you're not really looking at things the way that you used to and you're not really perceiving things. Why? Because darkness is creeping in. Amen? Praise the Lord. But what the Lord has done for us is he has allowed us to begin to think straight because he's taken the darkness and brought light. Amen? Hallelujah. And, of course, the the, uh, uh, Bible further says in verse 17, Ephesians 4, that the unsaved man is dead. Because of this spiritual ignorance. Truth and life go together. If you don't have truth, you don't have life. And in the uh, uh, verse number 19, I believe it is, it says that the unsaved person is past feeling. Because he has so given himself over to sin that sin completely controls him. And he doesn't even realize. There's no sense of guilt. There's no sense of shame there. Because sin has... Complete control over him. We uh, read uh, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 22, and it talks about how their foolish heart was dark. And if you want to, on your own time, read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. It gives a very clear explanation or expansion on this concept that someone gets beyond feeling. Uh, and the Bible says, as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, that's what it says in Romans chapter 1. As they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And then it goes on and, and it talks about the downward spiral of human beings when they reject the truth that's visible in creation that God declares to them through his word. When they reject it, there is a darkening and a spiritual spiral until now they do wrong and they don't even feel any guilt. Their conscience is seared essentially and God gives them over to a reprobate mind. So that passage there in Romans 1, verse 18 through 32 further expands what we see in these three verses we just read. The Christian cannot simply pattern himself, Christian cannot pattern himself after an unsaved person. If we pattern our life after somebody that's unsaved, see, that's why it's really important for us to understand that uh, as the core of life, church. Talking to today, some of you are not here, many of you are here. The core of life, church, you need to understand that you are an example to the unbeliever and you are an example to the new believer, right? Amen. Because we need to have patterns, or um, patterns, not the word I'm looking for, we need to have examples in our life that we look to and pattern ourselves after. And the Word of God is saying here, yeah, have patterns in your life, but don't let it be an unsaved person. Because if you pattern your life after an unsaved person, amen, you're going to be a miraculously raised person patting yourself after someone who's spiritually dead and darkened and walking in ignorance with their mind totally confused. And... uh When you are born again, your life is no longer futile, but it is now purposeful. And there's meaning and there's essence to your life and there's direction and focus. Hallelujah. So in every way, the believer is different than the unbeliever. That's why the Bible says, walk not as the other Gentiles. You're to be completely different. It starts with your mind and your thinking that's been darkened before, but now you're walking in light. So walk not like those people that are unsaved and unbelieving. You can't, It's totally different. It's totally a mistake. Their their understanding is vain and purposeless. There's no meaning to it. They're walking in darkness. They're walking in foolishness. You're alive in the Spirit, so there's just a profound and noticeable difference between a child of God and a child of the world. Amen? That's why people of God are different in every way than unsaved people. Praise the Lord. So let's go on. Verses 20 through 24 we're going to read now. We've established the admonition, now the argument. I'm going to first of all read from the New Living uh, Translation again, and then we'll go to the King James Version. Verse 20, just listen carefully. It says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Verse 21, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the life that comes from him. Verse 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, push it off. Throw it off because it's corrupted by lust and deception. It's corrupted. It's ruined. It's made foul. It's made to have stench because of lust and lies or deception or untruths or being misled. Instead, verse 23, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Verse 24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I love this picture. The Apostle Paul said, I told you in chapters 1 through 3, that you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. There's great riches available to you. God wants to do exceeding abundantly above you can, what you can ask or think according to the power that's working in your inner man because you're filled with the Spirit. He wants to do great things. Therefore, don't walk like the sinner. Take your old grave clothes that represent your former life of what you used to be and push them off. Throw them off and put on a new lifestyle. I said, put on a new lifestyle, a new nature, because you were created to be like God, righteous and holy. Amen. Let's read from the King James Version, verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ, 21, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. And the word put off means push it off. you got to push it off. Force it off. Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye may put on, or that ye put on, verse 24, the new man. Which after God is created in righteousness and true Holiness. Praise the Lord. Amen. Once again, the Apostle Paul is emphasizing the outlook or the perspective of the believer. At the beginning, he says, you have not so learned Christ. He said, learned Christ. He didn't say learned about Christ, but he said, you have learned Christ. Because you can learn about Christ and not be saved. Uh huh. But to learn Christ means to have a personal relationship to the Lord. So that you get to know Him better each day. See, you're different than the world. You don't know about Christ, you know Jesus. Because of your relationship, your daily walk with Him. And this fellowship with God, That this knowing of God is based on His Word. That's why it's important to be in Bible study. That's why it's important to read your Bible. Amen? That's why it's important to pray. Because this fellowship and relationship that I have with God is based on the Word of God that He left for us. Amen? Hallelujah. I can be taught the truth because the truth is Jesus Christ. And the better I understand the Word of God, the more I know Jesus Christ. The better I understand Him. You understand why? Jesus said, uh, is described as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, Logos. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Everybody say Jesus is the Word. But this is also the Word. If I want to know Jesus, if I want to meet Him and get familiar with Him, I get in the Word of God. How do I get to know somebody? I spend time with him. I talk to him. And you know, I get inside their brain. Well, part of getting to know the Lord is prayer. But he speaks back to us through the spirit number 1, but more importantly, he speaks back to us about his nature through his word, and we get to know him. Not just know about him, but to know him. It's different reading this book as a study resource and reading this book, amen, as getting an insight into your best friend, amen. Getting to know him better. And as a true Christian, you are learning learning not about Christ, but learning the Lord Jesus Christ. You're getting to know him. Amen. So the better I understand God's word, the better I know Jesus Christ. Because the Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so the unsaved person is maybe very, very smart. They may be a brainiac. and know a lot about science and so forth. But they are spiritually ignorant. But a Christian who knows Jesus Christ through his word, is intelligent in the things of the word. But the experience of salvation is more than just what you know. It goes a lot deeper than having insight into who Jesus is by knowing his word. Because we understand that knowing Jesus Christ and accepting him and receiving the free gift of salvation through uh the cross of Jesus Christ through faith in what the Lord has done and appropriating that through repentance and water baptism and receiving God's glorious spirit Spirit puts us in a whole new position before the Lord God. The old man or the former life that we used to be has been put away. And now we walk in newness of life through Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, uh, this passage that we read, Ephesians Chapter 4, what we just read, verses 22 through 24, is just a brief summary, kind of a brief picture of what is clearly laid out, detail by detail, in Romans chapter number chapters number 5 through 8. And Romans was also written by Paul. In Romans, he kind of just lays it all out from beginning to end, unfolds it all. These few verses here are just kind of a snapshot of that whole doctrinal principle that's laid out there. But the whole point of Romans chapters 5 through 8 and this passage that we just read is that the believers identify with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We die with Jesus Christ. We raise with him. Amen. We're buried with him and we rise with him and take off the grave clothes. Amen. And put on the new clothes of righteousness. Praise the Lord. Amen. As Christians, we have not simply changed our minds, but we have completely changed our citizenship. We're a new creature, a brand new person. All, all old things have been passed away. And, and we belong to God's new creation in Christ Jesus. And therefore, the ideas and desires of the old creation no longer should control our lives. It's about a complete transformation. The thing, And they say The things I used to want to do, I don't do them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't want to go there anymore. The way I used to act. I don't want to act that way anymore because that's the old, dark nature. But now God's put a brand new desire in my heart, and I'm letting that desire control my life. Why would I, as a person who's been resurrected, let my old, stinky grave clothes determine who I'm going to be and where I'm going to go and the direction for my life? I've got to walk in newness of life and get new ideas and new desires with the new creation that I am in Jesus Christ. Probably the simplest illustration of this is in John chapter eleven, story of Lazarus. Lazarus, remember, he had been dead three days, and uh, Jesus said, "Roll away the stone." What did Martha say? Remember, said, "No, Jesus. By this time, he stinketh." He heard a preacher preach one; the stink didn't stop him. That preacher preached, you got a lot of things in your life from your past that stink. That doesn't stop the Lord from working a miracle in your life. But as far as this illustration is concerned, he'd been in the grave for three days. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Lazarus, come forth. Anybody know why he said his name? Why, Brother Chet? That's right. That's how powerful the word of God is. he'd have just said, come forth, every every grave would just start stirring. He let Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus comes out like a mummy. You've seen it, seen it maybe illustrated before in a drama or whatever. He comes out like a mummy and he's standing there in his grave clothes. Man, he's resurrected, but he's still got his grave clothes on. He's resurrected, but he's still identified with death. Not only that, he's trapped, you know. He's not really able to express himself. And so what does Jesus say next? John eleven forty four. he says, loose him, let him go. See, because he couldn't do it for himself, but he said, loose him and let him go. He said, take off those grave clothes, because Lazarus no longer belongs to the dominion of death. Death is not in control of his life any longer, because now he is alive. Lazarus, you're alive. Why would you want to go through town in grave clothes? Why would you want to go out to dinner in grave clothes? Why would you want to go to the shopping center in gr- grave clothes, Lazarus? That's not who you are anymore. Amen. You are now alive. Take off the old and put on the new. Loose him and let him go. That's what the Word of God is speaking here. Take off the grave clothes. Take off the part of you that was the lifestyle and conversation and way of living of the old person before you met Jesus, before you experienced New Testament salvation. Take all of that off and let God put a new lifestyle, a new conversation into you. How do you do this? Verse 23. By being renewed. In the spirit of your mind, how do I take off the grave clothes and put on the new clothes? I've got to be renewed, and it has to be. And the Bible says that this, in another place, that this thing happens daily, that this is daily, Amen. The outward man perished; the inward man is renewed day by day. We're renewed in the spirit of our Mind And this is how we put off the old and take on the new. That's why, and people, people that don't come to church, you, I mean, there's no way. I, I don't know how in the world they think that they can continue living for God and be successful. People that don't pray, people that don't have a relationship with God, what happens? You get back into the old. Anybody seen it happen in your own life or anybody honest enough in here to realize that when you don't allow the spirit to renew your mind through his word and through time with other Christians and, godly fellowship that what happens is as the darkness begins to creep back in and you put on the old lifestyle again the old grave clothes that's representative of the old dead nature you start putting it back on again so you are able to remove the grave clothes and put on your new nature by being renewed in the spirit of your mind so conversion is not the whole deal conversion is that crisis moment when you accept the Lord Conversion is that crisis moment when you finally surrender. Everything I am, all my thoughts, my ideas, my concepts, I'm surrendering it to God. God, come in and fill my life. It's a crisis moment. It's a significant signal moment in time. But conversion is a crisis that leads to a process. And that process is Once we've been given a new position in Christ Jesus, now, day by day, we must by faith appropriate what he has given to us by the word of God and allow our minds to be renewed as we surrender our all to him. Praise the Lord. Brother Francisco, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is the process. Yeah, I've been delivered. God filled me with his spirit, but now I have to make a choice. Now I have to determine to follow after God and do what? 12, verses 1 and 2. Be The mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Be not conformed to this world. Present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. So once you've been saved, no, you don't change your lifestyle to be saved. But now after what God has done for you, therefore, Wherefore now what you do is present your body to God as a living sacrifice That means God. I want you to burn me up I'm still going to breathe. I'm still going to live, but I want your purpose to be done in my life. And in order for that to happen, hallelujah, there has to be through the renewing of our mind, we be not conformed to this world, but we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's how it happens. That's how we take off the old grave clothes, which is conformity with the world, which is conformity with unsaved concepts and mentality and take on the new nature. Hallelujah. Through the renewing of our mind minds. That's what's happening tonight. As you're listening to the word, your mind is being renewed. That's what happens when you get in the presence of the Lord and release everything and let the Holy Ghost take control. You're being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Hallelujah. I watched 350 young people, all 12 of ours or 11 or 12, 13 up there now, I think as uh, on uh, Monday night, they had a prayer line. And they had already had a blowout service Saturday night and Sunday night. But I was there my first time Monday night. And they all came through a prayer line. The preacher had preached a powerful message. uh, And I watched all those kids. And you know how young people are, you know, wanting to be cool, wanting to look good for the opposite sex and all this in an atmosphere like that. But I watched all of them coming through that prayer line like, power of God all over. I watched last night, they were stacked out all over the room. You know what was happening? God was changing their mind. God was renewing their mind. And that's what has to happen here at life. It's not enough for us to go through the motions of a church service, but we need the spirit to step in and renew minds. We need the word of God to be taught in such a way that it changes our mind. I can't just say, well, I'm going to be different than the world. I'm going to take off the grave clothes. No, there's got to be something spiritual that takes the cloak off of my thinking and lets me see through the mind of God and understand that even though it's foolishness to the world, it's true wisdom. Even though the world thinks it's a waste of time, it's the only thing that has meaning and purpose in life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Day by day, this happens. John seventeen seventeen says, sanctify them through thy word. Sanctify them through thy word. What does that mean? That means God finishes his process of preparing us for his purpose through his word. That's what's happening tonight. You know what you're doing here? You're not just here so pastor can say, well, they're not backslidden. You're being sanctified. What do you mean sanctified? I mean you are being cleansed and prepared and set apart for God's purpose in your life. And that only happens through the word of God. That doesn't happen because somebody can get up and give you a good inspirational talk. That doesn't happen because somebody has a lot of charm and insight into human nature. That happens through the Word of God. That happens through the truth of the Word of God. You are sanctified by the Word of God. Your mind is renewed and transformed by the Word of the Lord. That's why I am going to tell you again, praise God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to get back into our Bibles. If you're reading your Bibles, stay after it. If you fell off the wagon, let's get back on the wagon. Let's read that Bible every day so that renewed in the spirit of our mind, don't you know that when you're reading the Bible, it changes your lifestyle? When you get too busy to read your Bible, you're not intentionally changing your lifestyle, but something starts getting a little off track. It starts tweaking a little bit. Your conduct and your conversation lifestyle gets a little off track. Why? Because you're not allowing your mind to be renewed in the Word of God. You may be reading 2 Samuel somewhere, not even talking about New Testament salvation. But if you're in the Word of God, Boom. God's principles and and nature is is being appropriated into your life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Very important statement here. As the mind understands the truth of God's word, it is gradually transformed by the Holy Ghost. And this renewal leads to a changed life. A changed and transformed life. So it's God's word and the spirit working together in a gradual sense to transform a life. Amen. That's what God did. God saved you and he had a plan for your life. But that plan doesn't happen if you're not in the word of God. And you're not letting the spirit of God work together with the word of God to let his will be performed in your life. It's like you are what you eat. Everybody said, Brother Brown looks like you've been eating some marshmallows. But spiritually, you are what you think. Amen. The Bible says, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if I'm not in the word of God, I'm not thinking about the word of God. So I'm not going to come what God has planned for me. Right? That's why it's important for us as Christians to spend time meditating on the word, praying and fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if we just love him right now. Anybody want to love Jesus? I I feel him close to me right now. I feel him hovering close. I feel his presence. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love your word, Lord God. Let it bring about a change in my life, Lord. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Praise God. Now, verses 25 through 32, the Apostle Paul gives some practical applications of things that change. Any person's conduct and attitude and mind when they move from darkness to light. Everybody say from darkness to light. From darkness to light. There's certain activities, conduct, places to go that are associated with darkness. And as we are moving toward light, we begin to shed some of these things. Things that we used to look at. Things that we used to enjoy things that we used to engage in but they're a part of darkness and we're moving toward light and in these verses paul lists five different sins that are a part of darkness and he tells us to avoid them and each time he explains why we're going to begin with verse 25 everybody on verse 25 says wherefore putting away lying okay and he's saying now you're putting off the old grave clothes and this is part of it you're putting away lying let speak every man truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another let me read that same verse from the new living translation it says so stop telling lies let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body The apostle paul Admonishes us that with our new nature, we put off lying. What is lying? A lie is a statement that is contrary to fact that is spoken with the intent to deceive. A statement that's contrary to fact that is spoken with the intent to deceive. The Bible lets us know in John 8, 44, it says, You are of your father the devil, the less of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, the father of it. Satan is a liar. And guess what? Satan wants you and I to believe that God is a liar. Genesis 3 1, he said to Eve, Yea, hath God said, God was lying to you, is what he was saying. And I want you to understand, I'm sure you got this already, but everything that, that the Satan did with Eve to try to deceive her is exactly what he's still doing today. Same old tricks that he's doing today. Amen? And Revelations 22 and 15 says, Hell is prepared for whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. That's why as kids we heard the saying, If you lie, you fry. Uh huh. Anybody remember that? Liar, liar, pent on fire, hang from a telephone wire. All liars shall have their part in hell. This does not mean that anybody who ever told a lie will go to hell. But what it means is that those whose lives are controlled by lies, they love lies, they make lies, these people are lost forever. The Christian's life must be controlled by truth. Amen he says cut out the lie you're a new creature in Christ Jesus don't speak things that are not true with the with the purpose of deceiving somebody leading somebody to believe something that's not the truth and then paul gives us a reason for moving away from lying he says this is why you should tell the truth because we are all part of the same body. We belong to each other in Jesus Christ. And, and in uh, verse 16 of, of Ephesians 4 that we read last week, he tells us to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love to one another because we're concerned about one another. We're members of one another. We affect each other and we cannot build each other up apart from the truth. Amen. Some people say, well, I, I te- I, I'm just telling a little lie because I want to protect them. You know, I'm going to help them out. No, you cannot build up the body of Christ apart from the truth. And uh, if you look in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, the first sin in the church that was judged publicly was lying. Ananias and Sapphira lied to uh, the apostle. They lied to the Holy Spirit, and they were judged. Somebody said, "Mm, Lord, have mercy. Glad we're not living in the apostolic age right now. But this was the first sin, and of course the first mention in the New Testament church of sin being dealt with was the sin of lying. Apostle Paul says, lie not to one another. Verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The New Living Translation says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Hmm. Don't sin by letting anger control you. And when you're angry, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Because what you're doing with anger is giving a foothold to the devil. Anger, what is anger? Anger is an emotional arousal that's caused by something that displeases us. Something that's contrary to our ideas or our will. And in itself, anger is not a sin. Even God can be angry. Several references in Scripture, Deuteronomy 9 and 8, and also verse 20 and Psalms 2 and 12 indicates that God was angry. And then other places in the Old Testament it refers to the anger of the Lord, right? Anybody with me? The anger of the Lord. And holy anger, God's holy anger is a part of His judgment against sin as illustrated when Jesus Christ drove the money changers, amen, out of the temple to cleanse and purge and sanctify again the temple. Now, the Bible speaks often of anger being kindled. What does that term refer to? What does kindling refer to? Anybody know? It it can be stirred up, but, but ultimately, kindling is referring to a fire. So anger is given a parallel description of a fire. Anger is likened unto a fire. Sometimes a man's anger smolders. Other times the anger bursts forth and destroys. Anger that is smoldering is called, Scripture in the King James, it's called malice. But anger that explodes is called wrath. Anger that is smoldering is this emotional arousal caused by anger something you don't like that when it bursts forth and begins to destroy is called wrath the bible lets us know that it is possible to be angry and not to sin but if we do sin we must settle the matter quickly and not let the sun go down on our wrath guess what matthew 5:25 says it says agree with thine adversary quickly quickly man and here here's here's a key this is just a little extra a little tossed in there if you want a successful marriage i heard somebody say one time if you want a successful marriage if you'll take this one verse of scripture that says let not your son go down let the sun go down on your wrath agree with thine adversary quickly you'll take these two verses of scripture and apply them in your marriage then you can have a successful marriage Because what happens is anger is a smoldering bitterness or malice that can explode wrath from time to time. The Bible says, put out the fire before you go to bed. Put out the fire before you go to bed. Because if you allow the fire to burn overnight and the next day it grows and it can literally destroy relationships and destroy your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Can I get an amen? if you think I'm telling you the truth. Praise the Lord. The fire of anger can only be quenched. You quench a fire by throwing water on it or dirt on it. The fire of anger can only be quenched by loving forgiveness. Amen? And if the, the if the fire of anger is not quenched by forgiveness, it spreads and defiles and destroys the work of God. In a church, I've seen it happen. People have disagreements. People get angry with one another. And it grows. And it spreads. And no one's willing to forgive. And it can destroy the work of God. Jesus even said that anger is the first step towards murder. Right? That's what he said. Because anger gives the devil a foothold in our life. It's giving place to the devil. Amen? I mean, that's plain as you can get it. When you allow anger to dwell in your heart, you're giving a spot for the devil to do his work. Whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your relationship with a friend, whether it's in your relationship with a brother or sister of Christ, whether it's in your ministry in the body of Christ, you're giving Satan room to work. Guess what I want? I want to crowd the devil out of my life. I want to push him back. I don't want him to have a beachhead in my life. I want to push him back. Amen? So both lying and anger give place to the devil or give him a foothold in our life. There was a lady one time who said she was trying to justify her temper. And uh, she said, well, you know, I I explode and then it's all over with. You know, I don't bear a grudge. I just explode and it's all over with. And Person that was listening to her, who was her friend, she replied and said, Kind of like a shotgun, huh? But look at the damage that's left behind after it explodes. Amen. Solomon's solution was very good in Proverbs chapter fifteen, verse one. He says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Amen. That's part of maturing in Jesus Christ is learning when you've been provoked, when something happens that displeases you. To give a soft answer as opposed to giving to attitude and spouting back, which in turn stirs up anger. Amen? Praise the Lord. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. New Living says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Amen. God instituted the right in the Ten Commandments when he said, Thou shalt not steal. The right of having personal property, that you can work hard, earn a living, earn money, have your own car, your own house, your own stuff, and it's yours. You have that right. And God gave numerous laws for the Jews to protect personal property. And these principles have become a part of our Judeo-Christian law, which govern our nation today to protect privacy of property. And so Paul lets them understand that uh, they are not to steal, but they're to work hard and to do good so that they can have to give to those that need. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying or building up. Let let what comes out of your mouth be productive to build up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. New Living says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. This is a sign of maturity not allowing foul or corrupted words to come from your mouth. The mouth and the heart are connected. If I understand that, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So a corrupt mouth reveals a corrupt heart. That's why when somebody becomes a Christian, what they say and speak should begin to change because God is changing their heart. If God changes our heart, then the speech should change as well. Amen? Paul understood this because before the Lord changed him, when he was a religious rabbi, unsaved, the Bible says he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Threatenings and slaughter. But when he trusted Jesus Christ, a change took place in his life. He was mistreated and done wrong. And responded in love. The same person, the same person who was so zealous to breathe out threatenings and slaughter was transformed. And what came from his mouth was completely different. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The word corrupt says corrupt communication. The word corrupt is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 7 to refer to rotten fruit. Anybody ever had rotten fruit before? Nasty, soft, smells, spoiled. Corrupt means something that is worthless, bad, or rotten. So our words don't have to, you don't have to just, it's not just like dirty words or curse words, but it's anything that's worthless, bad, or rotten. And the appetites of the old life or those old grave clothes that we're preaching about show up when we permit filthy communication to come out of our mouth. Amen? Before we were saved, we were spiritually dead. And like Lazarus, our personal corruption produced an odor that was not pleasing to God. Our old grave clothes, our old speech, our old conversation stunk. Amen? Now you're alive in God, so let your conversation, represented by these old stinky grave clothes that are displeasing and rancorous and foul to the nostrils of God, let it be removed from us. Amen? And let our conversation be fresh, alive, profitable. Amen? Something that builds up and edifies. Amen? I've seen people before that they got everything just right. You look at them and say, wow. They must be a great Christian until they open their mouth, begin talking bad about this person and tearing down this situation, being critical of that, amen? Everything that comes out of their mouth is corrupt. Understand, that's the old way. That's the old nature and the old man. We put on a new nature in Jesus Christ, and it affects the words that come out of our mouth. Let your mouth be full of blessing by getting your heart full of blessing so that only truth and purity comes out of your mouth. Amen. Hallelujah. And keep in mind that your words have power, either for good or for evil. And he's telling us to speak words in such a way that they build up people that hear them. Let what comes out of your mouth build up other people. Build up Christians. Give faith to unbelievers and not tear them down. Satan, of course, encourages speech from us that will tear people down and destroy the work of God. If you're speaking against the church, speaking against the ministry, then what you're doing is you're letting the devil use you to try to tear down what God wants to build up. Amen? Hallelujah. If you need to be reminded the power that you have in your tongue for good or for evil, read the book of James, the third chapter specifically. Verse number 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God by which you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. He's saying, take it off, push it off, take off those old grave clothes, put it away from you with all malice. Verse 32, and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. This is what real Christianity is about. Amen? What real Christianity is about. Let me read the New Living Translation. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Come on now. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember He has identified you as His own. He put a seal on you guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of your redemption by the seal of His Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Jesus Christ has forgiven you. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. Be tenderhearted. Amen. Be kind to each other. Praise the Lord. This is what will build up the church. I said this is what will build up the church. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 31, it said, let all bitterness be removed. And what he is speaking here are sins of the attitude. Let me tell you this. Holiness begins with attitude. Holiness begins with attitude. Holiness begins with attitude. Amen? Bitterness refers to a settled hostility that poisons the whole inner man. A hostility or anger, something you're not happy about, something displeases you that begins to poison your whole inner man. Bitterness and anger make havoc of homes, make havoc of churches, make havoc of marriages, make havoc of friendships. The Bible says we must avoid bitterness because it grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost that lives inside of you when you received his spirit. Amen. Whenever your heart begins filled with bitterness and anger for something, it grieves the spirit. It does not want to dwell together with it. Amen. And, and you and I can relate. If you have children, your two children are angry at each other. It grieves you. Amen. It grieves you. And the Holy Spirit feels at home in an atmosphere of love and joy and peace. That's why when anger gets in a church, when people get turned against each other, first thing you notice is you don't feel the presence of the Lord. Come on now. You don't feel the presence of the Lord. And we lose the joy of our salvation and the fullness of God's blessings when we allow a bitter attitude to get a hold of us. Amen? Amen. The, the cause of a bitter attitude is an unwillingness to forgive people. An unforgiving spirit is a devil's playground. That's where the devil loves to work. Somebody that refuses to give is where the devil can play. And before long, it becomes the Christian's battleground. The devil's playground becomes the Christian's battleground. If somebody hurts us or does us wrong and we don't forgive them, we begin to develop bitterness within. It hardens our heart. Amen? And when we get bitter, we don't hurt the person who hurt us. We're only hurting ourselves, right? Bitterness in our heart makes us treat others the way Satan would treat them. When we should be treating them the way that God has treated us. We should be merciful to them the way that God's been merciful to us. Come on now. We should love them the way that God loved us. We should love them even though they're unlovable the way that God loved us when we were unlovable. God has forgiven us, so we should forgive other people. Amen? Hallelujah. So God is calling us to walk in purity, to put off our grave clothes, to walk in purity because we're members of one body. Satan wants to get a foothold in your life. Satan would love to get a foothold in our church. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. But God is calling us to share with one another, to build one another up, amen, to love one another, to forgive one another so that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We've been raised from the dead. We've been positioned in rightful place before the Lord. Why should we walk around in grave clothes? We, why should we walk around old stinky attitude? Why should we walk or walk around with old stinky lifestyle? Why should we walk around like any other sinner? Amen. God said, I raise you up. Now take off the old filthy corrupt clothing and put on. Amen. Put on righteousness. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's stand our feet and clap our hands to the Lord right now. I feel the Holy Ghost I feel God's spirit here right now Come on, I want to remind you The Lord brought you to new life in Him The Lord delivered you from the old nature God delivered you from lust God delivered you from sin, amen God delivered you and brought you to new life through His spirit He brought brightness into your mind Now, guess what I have to say? Loose him and let him go. Loose her and let her go. Hallelujah. Release her from the lifestyle. Release him from the trappings of that old dead nature. In the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. Because it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I thank you for your word because it's what renews my mind and enables me Lord God to fulfill your will Lord Jesus and not be conformed to this world but be transformed into what you want me to be. Thank you for your word Lord God. Thank you for what it's done in our heart today and thank you for answering our prayer of speaking revelation and understanding to us Lord God. Now let us go out and therefore let us not walk like the world let us not talk like the world let us not be angry like the world let us not be bitter and lie and backbite like the world but let us be like jesus christ thank you jesus in your name amen god bless you you're dismissed in the name of the lord hallelujah make sure you greet sister sister keller